listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is proud to bring you up-to-date trends and innovative information from our host, trusted sources, and monthly guests, led by Dr. Gail Lebovic. We're covering important topics and bringing health and wellness to your community by bridging the gap between pharmacies, physicians, and patients. This monthly podcast is sponsored by Silicon Valley Innovations, makers of NasoCleanse. There's an article that just came out uh, towards the end of uh, December, and it's not um, a standalone article. Unfortunately, with the search of Google, you will find respiratory illnesses and health concerns. And this title is Respiratory Illness Cases Rapidly Growing in Southern Indiana, which is part of the WTHI TV 10's news group covering this. And um, like I said, it's it's not just about uh, Indiana. It's, it's an issue that we're having throughout our nation. Some of the things that have happened in nature, some of our disasters are causing our, our air to be questionable at times throughout many parts of the nation. And I think of respiratory health immediately. I think of our pharmacists. Uh, thank you so much for what you do and being able to leverage their understanding and the communication education that they give to their communities. So today's episode is very special, brought to you by Anizo Cleanse, a, a partner of ours now, um, giving us amazing respiratory health uh, information and resource. Um, I want to welcome back Dr. Gail Lebovic and um, just everything uh, that you've brought to the table so far, Gail, I've been so excited about. Uh, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. It's it's really a pleasure to be working with you and being able to get some great information out to consumers and pharmacists and community pharmacists. Love it. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. The community pharmacists uh, were told uh, by stats nine um, to 10 or nine to one. Uh, your pharmacist is seeing you nine times, your physician seeing you uh, mm -hmm. once based on the cycle and access to our community pharmacists. Dr. Lucas uh, Barenbrock, uh, so proud to have you back. A, a fellow Pittsburgher, um, go Steelers. We need all the love uh, and and wishes of the Steelers right now. But Luke, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Todd. It's good to be back. Let's start with Lucas real quick. I want to jump in and just, uh, just in case the listeners didn't catch you on some of the uh, continuing education that you've helped to develop uh, through podcasting. Introduce yourself to our guests and, and to our listeners. Hey, everybody. I'm Luke Berenbrock. I'm an associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy, and I'm trained as a community pharmacist. I primarily teach our second-year students clinical skills, professional career development, but a lot of my research and practice is focused on taking care of people in outpatient settings. And so I love to research healthcare access. I love to write about how people can safely and effectively use self-care and other things that are available to them at a community pharmacy. That's cool. Excellent. By the way, I want to give um, Luke, I want to give you a congratulations for the uh, Albert B. Prescott Pharmacy Leadership Award that you were recently honored with and uh, just say congratulations to you. Thanks, Doug. That was a really special achievement earlier this year. Yes. Well, 
Pharmacists are leading healthcare, and what's even better is when we get to bring on physicians who are passionate about changing the status quo and what's taken place in your career, Gail. Uh, once again, we, we had you kick off this podcast and series in resource. However, I do just want you to quickly give our listeners just a little bit about yourself and, um, and why we're talking about respiratory health today. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Um, just briefly, I'm a surgeon by training and specialized in breast cancer surgery, which I absolutely love more than anything in the world. But in that process, um, I was able to really change things in a manner by bringing medical devices to market. So I got very involved in medical device development, identifying a clinical need, and then creating products um, with my team and bringing them uh, to patients everywhere. And again, through my uh, experiences as a surgeon, I learned about respiratory health because obviously, you know, the ABCs of, of medicine are really important. And the A is airway. The B stands for breathing and the C stands for circulation, the three components that are essential to life. So um, this latest project I'm working on is all about respiratory health care, and I'm CEO and founder of Silicon Valley Innovations, the manufacturer of NasoCleanse and other products, and I'm just very honored to be here with Luke and Todd today to really just dig in to respiratory health. All right, we are jumping into the deep end of the pool right out of the gate. Um, Hold your breath. I want to know. <laughs> exactly. Hold your breath. Clean your nostrils off before you do that. Um, phenylephrine. Can I even say that correctly? Phenyl. Phenylephrine. Phenylephrine. There you go. And respiratory health. And there are pharmacists who I've referenced this entire subject and they're like, it doesn't even work as intended as, as maybe it was presented. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, all right, I want a community pharmacist on, an educator on. So I want to dig into this because I'm the consumer on this on this podcast. I want, as I am, I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not a physician. I am a podcast developer, marketer, and here we are. And and I'm I'm pleased to have the referenceable between the two of you because pharmacists want to communicate this to their people that they're talking with. Our our independent community pharmacists, our chain pharmacists out there, they need to know this. So let's kick off with uh with. Um, Gail, and and then I want uh, Luke. I want you to jump right in. But talk talk to us about this drug and um, respiratory health. Yeah, I I've been thinking a lot about this, of course, because it's it's been in the news since September, roughly. Um, and we'll get to that. But I think first we need to start, as always, with kind of the clinical issues, like why would people even use phenylephrine, and what other drugs are they using, and of course, Luke will address those questions. But from my perspective, the real issue is why. And that begins with, we can start with something as simple as nasal congestion, which millions of people suffer from. And there are many different causes from everything from allergies, being exposed to airborne particles in the air, that cause inflammation in the nasal passages that then result in mucus formation, then we can um, 
layer on top of that bacteria and viruses. The nose is a filter. It basically filters the air that we breathe, filters about 7,000 liters of air every day. So it's doing a huge job. And the nasal passages lead to the sinuses where everything, you know, that process just multiplies. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, all of that garbage can go into your lungs and affect your respiratory system. So I think we need to keep that in mind. That entire pathway is really important. And different drugs and medications and treatments available in the community pharmacies will address different parts of that entire respiratory system. And that's kind of the basic that we're starting with. Luke, do you have stuff to um, add to that? Gail, I like to hear that you said you've been thinking a lot about this in September. I, I have too, because it comes at a really interesting time now that cold and flu season is kind of ramping up and we have lots of other respiratory viruses going around. I can't say that I was surprised whenever this came out. I think a lot of my colleagues had the same reaction because for a long time, um, pharmacists really suspected and had this gut feeling that phenylephrine really wasn't as effective as um, some of the alternative options that are available for purchase over the counter, like pseudoephedrine. It's behind the counter, but still non-prescription. And lots of patients report, hey, this phenylephrine stuff doesn't work as good as the old stuff. If they think back to when uh, pseudoephedrine was available um, out front on the shelves, so it's a it's a good time to kind of reconsider what products are available to to patients, and it's going to need a lot of education to try to tell people, hey, this is what's changing, this is what's available to you, this might not be available to you anymore, as some of the major retailers take these products off the shelf. I'm glad to hear you bring up kind of the historical point of pseudoephedrine and how that was taken off the shelves and put behind the counter, um, which probably was a really unfortunate situation. I, I spend a lot of time in New Zealand and the exact opposite happens down here. So pseudoephedrine is available over the counter and phenylephrine is behind the counter and they're just about to switch that, which I found... No, I'm not kidding, which I find really interesting. Um, so, yeah, there is a history to it. Um, and I also find interesting the fact that, you know, we are now saying phenylephrine isn't quite as effective, although let's be realistic, there's a huge market for oral decongestants containing phenylephrine. Um, and that, that market is about, it, it's over several billion dollars a year. So it's going to have a massive impact once phenylephrine is pulled off the shelves. And we need to address, you know, what is it actually doing for patients? How is it being delivered both oral and intranasally? And let's take a look at some ways we can address, again, the clinical symptoms that, that people are, are looking for a solution for. Yeah, that's why, you know, whenever I write about this or talk to people about it, it's not as easy as saying, don't don't take anything with phenylephrine in it or avoid the PE products because a lot of these products are in combination. And so that conversation with a pharmacist or with um, a physician or other healthcare providers is really important. Um, and, you know, self-care isn't always a, a solo sport. 
yes, in theory, a patient can go and pick it up or buy it online and not have to talk with anybody, but those conversations can be really rich to make sure that a product that you're choosing is going to be safe and effective. In here, in this decision, or vote, I should say, in September, they were very specific also about the oral phenylephrine. So the good news is is that the nasal spray version of the phenylephrine is, is still effective and is still going to be available, but um, that oral tablet is the thing that uh, we're going to see probably reduced access to. Yeah, and it you know it makes sense for for those people joining us who may not have the background. What happened was uh, phenylephrine has been available in both a nasal spray as well as oral decongestants, and again, it's a large market. Um, if you if you look at the shelf and you virtually all decongestant products for cold and sinuses contain phenylephrine. And so it will have a large impact. The issue being when you take a pill, that pill has to go into your stomach. It has to be digested. It then gets processed usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, but through the liver in the case of phenylephrine, and then ultimately will act on the end target being the nose. So you can see why orally, it's probably not as effective as intranasally. In fact, we know it's not. What we like, what I like in particular, is treating something locally because you don't have, number one, the fallout of other organs being involved and you get a much more direct effect. So let's act locally with the sprays and, and other new products that, that we can talk about later. Um, but let's act locally in order to treat local symptoms. I, I like that approach a lot, which is, again, what brought us to the nasal healthcare market. Oh, I love it too. I, I think trying to avoid those systemic effects um, when we're talking about adverse effects or side effects is a great way to really optimize and use medications really judiciously. Um, and a lot of people I don't think think about that. I think people reach for a pill sometimes first and they forget that there's um, a nasal spray in the case of congestion or uh, patches for certain types of pain, things that can really avoid that first pass metabolism. In the case with phenylephrine, some people are saying that 99% of it is metabolized and inactivated before it even gets into the back into the bloodstream, which is one of these reasons why it's ineffective. But this local site of, of action and, and delivery, I think, is a really great pharmacy principle when we're talking about really um, good steward use of drugs. I love hearing you say that because at the, at the very end of the day, what our team is doing is we've created a new drug delivery system. And although we're starting with nasal hygiene, we do have an entire product line of delivering other types of medications intranasally. I love the opportunity because the nose is so robust in its blood supply that we don't need to take a pill and have it go through the liver and wait 45 minutes. You know, we can have an effect immediately. So um, I appreciate your excitement about that local treatment as well. Hey, Gail, have you been hearing from friends and family that they're confused by this by this vote and what this means. I think every single person I talked to in September and October was texting and asking me, what's the real story here? Am, am I going to be able to buy something or is everything I've been taking for my life been a big sham? 
Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I don't think it's just a placebo effect. I really don't. I don't think you get, you know, a three, four billion dollar industry with just a placebo effect. I think there that phenylephrine is effective. I don't think it's as effective as pseudofedrine, but pseudofedrine has some significant cardiac effects. So again, we want to try, like you said, to optimize the intranasal effect of these medications. And I think there's a lot of opportunity and room for improvement in the delivery of intranasal medications. A lot of people don't like sprays. I personally don't you know, use any nasal sprays um, because I don't have allergies or sinus problems, but I do know that patients complain of it quite a bit. What do you hear out in the community? Um, well, I hear, you know, I think I think patients are really looking at pseudoephedrine, too, as that gold standard, and they're comparing phenylephrine to that and saying, oh, this doesn't work really as well as the stuff behind the counter. Mm. But the reality is that the safety profiles and the adverse effect uh, profiles are not the same. So you had mentioned cardiovascular effects with pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine is not going to be right for everybody. And uh, ironically, there were really no safety concerns that the panel had um, identified when they did the vote in September. So, you know, you can compare drugs one-to-one -one based upon their risks and, and their benefits, um, but it's, it's a shame that this gold standard really isn't right for everyone. So there's going to be some people looking for, for alternatives, um, not phenylephrine because they might not find that it works, not pseudoephedrine because they might have some cardiovascular um, conditions and the pharmacist and the physician is saying, hey, let's kind of stay away from that. And so they're going to have to look for some other things too. And I think that's where um, that conversation with the pharmacist can be really helpful to say, hey, option A is not good for you for this reason. Option B is not good for you this, for this reason. Let's look for an option C. And let me ask you the million dollar question. <laughs> Why do you think the FDA chose now to do this review and have this vote? That's a great, that's a great question. I wish I knew more about the timing. Um, it is interesting that this wasn't the first time that they looked at phenylephrine and they had looked at this back in 2007 and, um, in 2007, they ultimately concluded that they need more studies and they needed to take a look at it at different dosing or at, at higher doses. Um, but this one seemed pretty unanimous with the 11-0 um, vote that it was ineffective. And the timing is really curious because it came at a time in which there's probably going to be increased sales for these products because of uh, you know cold and, and flu and other respiratory viruses circulating more in the winter months. I, I'm fascinated by this. I wish I knew. I'm fascinated by it, too. So as the consumer of this podcast, who is not educated like uh, the either of you, um, I listen and I think um, as more uh, the, this more intelligent consumer, because I get to hang out with pharmacists and physicians like you do, you, you go for a while. But I'm wondering, OK, so. This still comes back to what works for me personally and and, and what has worked. Um, when I run into additional information that's come out since uh, September, um, NPR did a, a follow-up article on what many physicians that they 
uh, consulted with and talked with and uh, and built the story around. And the title was What Works for Treating the Common Cold? Many Doctors Say Not Much, in quotes. And then it goes into this entire amazing article that digs down into about 16 different people's uh, um, you know, inputs and opinions. One of the the people is um, is referencing uh, Peter Lorre, Laurie, the president of the Center for Science and Public Interest, um, that there, he's like, you know, that there could be active ingredients inside these medications that are sold over the counter that have, um, you know, effects on on patients uh, differently for each of those patients, and also depending on their existing respiratory health, for example, and levels of of health. And so, what what do we tell our pharmacist listeners who are in contact with patients all the time about finding the right um the right solution for that individual patient based on what you were saying gail which is we have to start with um an understanding of respiratory health at the beginning anyway it's kind of like that common denominator and then everybody has something that's different coming out of that i don't have issues from a respiratory ex except my nose closes up at night when i try to sleep and then i become a mouth breather and I've been told multiple solutions for that. Um, one being <laughs> nasal cleanse, not that I'm trying to push it, but that's changed things for me in my own sleep. So as a physician and, and, and Luke, you're meeting with you and, you know, 300,000 active pharmacists across the nation are now in touch with people every day. So what's, uh, what's the answer for, for treatment? Well, well, I love the question because I think, We've ignored our noses for centuries. Um, although in ancient times, they did recognize the importance of the nose and the nasal passage. And they did use Ayurveda, which is a method of cleansing the nasal passage and the sinuses. So I find that fascinating that even in ancient times, they knew it was important to keep the nasal passages clean and open. Now, there have not been very easy, convenient, comfortable ways of cleansing the nose for ever, which is why we developed nasal cleanse, because we need to start with the basics, cleaning the front portion, the skin and the hair inside the nose with an antiseptic gel created for the nose is kind of where we started. Then there are lots of sinus rinses, something as simple as saline rinses, is can be very helpful, especially when you have a cold or a, something going on, a head cold, it will help dilute the number of bacteria or viruses in there, and it will help with decongest decongesting the sinus area. So I do think a regular routine of cleansing and washing the sinuses can be very helpful in maintaining respiratory health. And when you're sick, but that being said, I think it's also important to maintain overall health. So vitamins and supplements can be very important. I have a regimen that I stick to, and I swear it works um, in terms of staying healthy. I take at least 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C dissolved in water, not a pill, not a tablet, because I think the absorption is better as a liquid. I take vitamin D3, 5,000 I use. Obviously, people need to do what uh, is best for them and work that out with their physicians, but this is kind of my recipe. Uh, I think zinc, at least 25 milligrams of zinc, helps you stay healthy. 
And there are lots of other things such as elderberry, lots of natural products um, that do help you keep your immune system healthy. And that's, that's a basic way to start. Um, then when we have illness, you know, that's something else. We have to interrupt the cycle of inflammation and mucus production and thinning the mucus with things like mucinex. But again, Luke can probably address some of those things with over-the-counter medications that are available. Um, my goal <clears throat> is really to try to get people to a baseline that's really healthy and really strong so that they will get sick less often. And that's, that's a lofty goal, but I think it's achievable. And Todd, I like this question too. I, I think um, this case of phenylephrine is really a great story for why pharmacists are educators. Yeah, we're medication experts and we're clinicians, but a lot of the things that we do is educating our patients and educating the public. Um, and you can see already the confusion that this brought about with the public on what's what and what's effective and what's not and how do I purchase this project, this product after this vote in September. And so I think for the 300,000 pharmacists out there, this really highlights that when we're in the communities and people are seeing us week to week or month to month or maybe as frequently as day to day, we can expect questions like this and we can really kind of help set the record straight. And that might not be, don't take phenylephrine if the patient's saying, hey, it's working for me, it's helping me, and it's helping to clear my congestion. Um, but it might steer be steering people away from it if they never tried it before or if they need something um, that you think is safe for them to take and maybe an alternative is, is, is recommended after that data collection. I think it is very confusing for consumers. You know, whenever... Um, the FDA makes a, a commitment to uh, coming down on one side or the other, I think people pay really close attention to that, right? If the FDA says, well, it's not safe and it's not effective, people aren't going to use it. I think they're going to be inclined not to use it. Um, and also, it may not be available. If it did work for people and they can't get it, that's yet another problem. So I do think it's helpful to continue having these conversations. You know, for me as a physician, it's great to talk to the pharmacists and come up with solutions that we can give to patients in, in the moment when they say, well, what do I use now? I can't use pseudoephedrine, phenylephrine's not available, you know, what now? And I, I think I would lean first to the phenylephrine sprays going back to our earlier conversation of let's act locally and see if we can um, deal with some of those intranasal symptoms. What about you, Luke? What would you say? Yeah, I, I like the nasal sprays as options too. The phenylephrine spray is effective because it's not having that first pass metabolism that a, a pill that goes in your gut first would have. Mm -hmm. And then we also have the um, oxymetazoline spray um, that's sold under the brand name Afrin, among others. And that one's not right for everyone either, but the data kind of changes on that, on how long you can use it before um, you become dependent on that spray to keep your nose open. Um, but, you know, I'm also, I also read a little bit about how, you know, the FDA hasn't made a final ruling on this. This was just a, an advisory panel vote. And before the FDA really has this final ruling, 
uh, I think they're expected to have some consumers weigh in. So I think that'll also be important, too, because that might guide the messaging and how people kind of see this and interact with the message and change um, their healthcare habits. So I think that's that's an important part to the process that um, is good that we're not overlooking. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. I wasn't aware that they were going to have consumers weigh in, but I think that's really important. All right, the educated consumer, uh, more information available to them. Some of that, um, it, they, there's too much doctor Googling going on, but then again, um, reference back to your physician or pharmacist, especially if you're talking about medications, goodness gracious. So let's talk about um, nasal um, conditioning and health and, and, and what nasal cleanse does as a kind of a, as a follow-up for our listeners to understand there are some things that we can do in all cases, in allergies, in medication absorption, in um, in sleep for myself and what I experience for uh, for breathing. So, talk to us around that. It's like we, now at least we give we give the listeners a, a solution to all you know to all of this, which is better nasal, better respiratory health. Yeah, I appreciate that, Todd. Um, again, I come at this from a very clinical point of view. You know, I learned that the nasal cavity is colonized with lots of really nasty stuff. 40% of the population has pathogenic bacteria in their nose, just like our skin. And picking your nose is not cleaning your nose. <laughs> let's, let's get that straight. Um, in fact, it's a really um, bad habit because you can create cracking inside the nose, the nose is very delicate inside. You introduce bacteria that's on your hands into your nose. So let's get people to stop picking their nose, first of all. Um, and we decided to go with an antiseptic so that we could not only kill germs and viruses, but it also has a moisturizer in it, which is really important because the nose humidifies the air that we breathe. And that helps with oxygen exchange at the level of the alveoli in the lungs. So it's all very clinically oriented um, to help your nose do the heavy lifting of filtering all that air and, and the junk out of it. We do find it's very effective with allergies, 84% reduction in severe symptoms such as you know runny, itchy, sneezy noses. It's very helpful for patients who use a CPAP because nasal drying internally is one of the chief complaints and why people don't use their CPAP machine. It's very helpful for people who are on chronic oxygen, for example, later in life or who are dealing with emphysema. It's helpful while traveling, obviously. Many of us have experienced getting sick um, while on planes, and that's because the humidity is very low on an airplane. It's something like, it's less than 5% humidity. And again, recirculating the air with germs. Uh, I think we've all experienced that. Yep. So we've designed it to be a very broad-based approach to nasal hygiene um, and to not only clean, but also moisturize the nose and help the nose do its heavy lifting. Um, Luke, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about using something like that just you know, for maintaining basic respiratory health. You know, I haven't really thought much about this before I met you, Gail. Um, but I'm, it's making sense to me. 
Um, I'm I'm thinking about the reasons why you know I would give it a shot. The airplane thing makes sense. I do a lot of travel over the year, um, and every time I get off, I feel very dry. Um, so I can see myself doing that. Um, and I think maybe pharmacists need a little bit more education here too. We're so focused on medications. We are the medication experts. It'd be great to see some more resources to learn more about respiratory health when it comes to um, these concepts that you're talking about with a, a healthy and a clean nose. Yeah, there. it's just a very simple approach. Um, we are kind of known for approaching simple problems that people have overlooked, I think, um, for a long time. And uh, appreciate your input. I will send you some NasoClan so that you can try it first and foremost. We love everybody to try it. And I'd love your feedback on the product as well. And then maybe we can do a webinar to educate, you know, pharmacists about just use of intranasal medications and products to begin with. Because as a compounding pharmacist, I think there are lots of things that you can do intranasally. Yeah, I'm all about pharmacy education. I love uh, that our profession really leans into lifelong learning. So this is something mm -hmm. that we would need. Agreed. Gail, I know of a pharmacy school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that may be interested in being involved in such Ooh. a webinar. So I'm going to reach out to some of these uh, Pittsburghers that I know, the Yinzers. And maybe we could do a study out there with you, Luke. Yeah, of course. Would love to do that. All right. You, hear, you heard it here first uh, on the uh, Pharmacy Podcast Network and um, what we're driving um, with with concepts that you need to be thinking about as a pharmacist on the hospital hospital room uh, floors, the in your health systems, in your in your community pharmacies. Obviously, I also think of our senior care um, teams that are out there caring for our uh, elderly who are, um, like you said, Gail, on oxygen many of the times, and um, what's happening in their in their uh, nasal health uh, arena and, and keeping um, maybe. Sickness is going or something passing or whatever it is, having a hard time breathing. Regardless, we're excited. If you're listening to this episode and you really thought, um, boy, this is interesting. I want more information in the show notes. We are going to have links to um, to Luke's uh, bio in LinkedIn as well as Gail's in LinkedIn. Um, please connect and reach out with them. Also, um, Naso Cleanse. Um, we uh, want everyone, especially pharmacists, to give us feedback on this. Um, and some of the the news that has come out about NasoCleanse, including an article in um, in the uh, Business Insider, was extremely interesting. How NasoCleansing system uh, shows potential for increasing compliance in CPA uh, CPAP uh, patients. That is brilliant. And guess what? We're setting the stage for maybe some future uh, podcast content, Gail. Great. Happy to, happy to be part of it. And you know what? Don't forget first responders, because I know a lot of the pharmacists have relationships with first responders who are police, firefighters, healthcare workers, for sure, should be cleansing their nose, you know, when they go to work and when they come home. Absolutely. And thank you for that. Luke, thank you so much for coming back. Um, you're you're now one of these pharmacists that is a uh, is like a. I think you're coming on quarterly. Maybe maybe it'll become um, bi monthly or monthly. Oh, I would love that. Thanks for always inviting me back. 
Absolutely. Thank you, pharmacists, for everything you do. Shout out to our um, pharmacy technicians who support our pharmacists. If there's anything we can ever do, um, please reach out to any of our um, hosts. We have uh, 52 hosts now. And Gail, we are so proud to have you as one of our new hosts for 2024 and being able to uh, cross that collaboration bridge that has to keep happening to strengthen healthcare between physician and pharmacists. So I'm so proud of this. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me. And Luke, thank you. It was really a pleasure meeting you and having a chance to talk to you. I loved the way you addressed um, patients out in the community as taking a hold of their self-care. I love that term. So appreciate that and look forward to talking to you soon. Likewise, Gail, it was a pleasure. Thank you.